happy Easter to all of you. I'm supposed to say happy Easter back, losers. All right, good. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell, but we have a lot of creative arts people here and at our Northridge campus, Cactus, and then the chapel and the venue that are just fired up that Jesus rose from the dead. And we hope, yes, thank you. You know, we're just hoping that that rubs off on you. And so, you know, we, we work hard as we prepare for Easter to have a seat for everybody. And it's tough, especially at 9 and 11. So there are those of you who right now are in overflow here at Shea and at Northridge. Thank you for uh, being working with us on that. And we just want to welcome all of you to our Easter celebration. Uh, my name is Jamie Rasmussen. I'm the senior pastor here. And my wonderful job to do here is that after we've now done some singing and hopefully focused our hearts and minds on what this day is about as we celebrate the resurrection is now to help us all find our place in the resurrection. That's the job over the next 30 minutes for you and I to have a discussion and try to talk about what does it mean for you and for me today that Jesus rose from the dead no matter where we might be in our spiritual journey. So that's a tall order. I'm going to pray right now and then we're going to dive right in. So why don't you just bow with me and then we'll ask God's help. God, thank you for this wonderful day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, something that took place 2,000 years ago and still has profound shockwaves in our 21st century culture. And I pray that as we all now have a, a cogent, reasonable discussion on what happened then that affects now, that God, you would help us to find our place within this resurrection event, no matter where we might be spiritually and be ready to get on a journey. And I pray this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. So last fall, my 84-year-old dad decided to visit me and Kim and the kids here in Scottsdale. It was a big deal. Dad lives in Worcester, Ohio, 2,200 miles away, and he has not visited us in over a decade. And the reason is, is because my mother, who passed away a year ago, had a tough 10 years, last 10 years of her life, and was unable to travel. And dad was married to her for 60 years. She was the queen of his world, and so he would never leave her side. It was a beautiful thing. But now that mom had passed on, dad decided to come out and visit Kim and I here. And I can remember asking him how he was going to get out here. Because that's an important question for an 84-year-old guy and a very important question for my dad because my dad always had this motto when I was growing up. He used to drill into us that the journey is just as important as the destination. He's old school. He feels how you get someplace and the enjoyment that you have in the process is just as important in getting there. No one thinks like that today. My dad does. So when I asked him how he was going to get out here, I knew he, didn't, he wasn't going to take a plane. In fact, I even said, you're going to take a plane? And, and he swore at me. So I knew he wasn't going to take a plane. <laughs> and, uh, and so then I said, are you going to drive? And, and, and I knew he's really gifts, he, he couldn't take a 33-hour drive. And so he said, no, I'm not going to drive. He said, I'm going to take a train to get out to you. <laughs> now, for those of you who are younger, a train is a multi-car transportation <laughs> system that, that sits on two rails and... <laughs> And they were popular about 100 years ago before the invention of the car. And, and, and 100 years ago, that's how people got around. Then we invented cars and nobody takes trains. And in fact, the largest passenger train system in America is Amtrak. You might have heard from it. And it's so successful that it loses, true story, $2 billion a year. That's how much they are subsidized by the federal government. That's for another sermon. But that's Amtrak. Amtrak. 
So dad contacts Amtrak and, 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 and he plots his course to get out here to Scottsdale. Let me show you what he had to do. Uh, this is the map that he, he, he drew up. Uh, Amtrak doesn't go to Worcester, Ohio, so he had to pick up the train in Galesburg, Illinois. So he had to drive two states over, it took him two days, two states over, uh, spent the night in Galesburg, got on the train in Galesburg, and had a 31-hour train ride uh, here to Flagstaff. We'll get to that in a minute. So he goes through Illinois, Missouri, Kansas, Colorado, New Mexico, eventually gets to Flagstaff because Amtrak doesn't come into Phoenix, where my daughter went and picked him up and got him to his final destination here. I asked him at one point, you know, Dad, how, how much did this ticket cost you? And when he told me what it cost, because he didn't want to be with anybody else, he wanted a private room, so he got one of those sleeper cars. <laughs> I did the math. He could have bought three round-trip first-class tickets to Phoenix <laughs> with what he paid to, to go on Amtrak. And did I mention they lose $2 billion a year? It took him three or four days to get out here, and then I kid you not, he spent four days here, that's about all he can take of me, and then he did the reverse trip. So he got home to Worcester, and, and, and it was such an exciting trip for him, probably much more exciting than spending time with me, and, and, and his seniors group at his church asked him to do a presentation for all the other seniors. <laughs> And he had pictures and maps, and I, I was like, oh, I'm bummed I missed that, Dad, you know, and so. Now, now here's the reason that I tell you this story, because we're going to call that my dad's journey. The reason I tell you that is because as we now turn our sights to what happened that very first Easter morning 2,000 years ago, what I want to show you today is how there was a player at that empty tomb that all of you have heard of, but you don't know much about her, who was on a journey as well in her understanding of who Jesus really is. I hear Christian people talk a lot about our walk with Jesus, and that's good verbiage, our walk with Jesus. Do we all understand that in order to walk with Jesus, you got to find your way to Jesus? You got to walk toward Jesus in order to walk with him. And many of the early followers, you're going to see even you and I today, have to first find our way to Jesus or God finds his way to us, but we meet him. And that's what we're going to talk about today is the journey to Jesus for this original Easter player. Her name is Mary Magdalene. Many of you have heard that name, Mary Magdalene. She was Jesus' friend. She wasn't his girlfriend, as some modern-day people try to, to say. There's nothing like that in the Bible. This was simply a woman who had been delivered from a terrible life uh, by Jesus. He was her, as you're going to see in a minute, her rabbi, her friend, her spiritual leader. And, and, and she's, along with a group of women, was somebody that followed Jesus all the way through his life, even to his death. And so when we pick up the resurrection story in John chapter 20, let me explain the first 10 verses to you right now, because we're not going to read them. Uh, Mary goes to the tomb 36 hours after Jesus has been dead. We always say Jesus rose on the third day because he was buried on Friday night, and then you have Saturday, and then Sunday morning, which is why we celebrate Easter on Sunday morning, was when they found that he had risen from the dead. So 36 hours, he's been in the grave. Mary goes to the tomb, Mary Magdalene, on Sunday morning and finds the body of Jesus gone. It's the empty tomb. 
She's obviously upset. She believes somebody has stolen the body because they weren't expecting a resurrection. So she runs back and tells two of the top disciples, Peter and John, they run to the tomb, verify it's empty, and then go back to tell the other disciples. And Mary is left there at the tomb. So let's pick up the story right now. This is kind of preamble, the first few verses. Just follow along so you can get into the groove of what's happening with Mary in her journey. It says, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb and she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid them. Now, we've already established this, that Mary is upset because she believes the body of Jesus had been stolen. And what I need you guys to see more than anything else, because we're going to accelerate at this point, is that Mary is on a journey to finding Jesus, just like we all are. She's trying to find Jesus. She believes he's dead and that his body has been taken, but she's on a journey that is about to take her through three successive stages in her understanding and realization of who Jesus is. A journey that is symbolically like the journey my dad took to get out here to Scottsdale where he was at a train station, got on a train, went on his way, and eventually arrived at a destination. We're going to see Mary has a similar journey of the soul that she has to go through in her understanding of who Jesus is as she makes her way to him. Let me show you what I mean. When Mary first confronts the resurrected Jesus here at the tomb, her experience would best be described as still at the station. She is still at the station. In other words, like my dad, who had to sit in the station before he got on the train to take him somewhere, you're going to see in just a second here that Mary has no idea who this resurrected Jesus is, and she certainly doesn't see anything eternally special about him when she first meets him. She's still at the station. If you don't believe me, look at how this story starts to accelerate in verses 14 to 15 of John 20. It says, when Mary had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And now folks, this is a fascinating, fascinating scene that, that we're observing here. Mary sees Jesus standing there. In other words, she sees the resurrected, risen Lord, but she doesn't realize it's Jesus. And then to really spice things up, she thinks he's the gardener. And she even calls him sir. Think about that. The Lord of the universe. Come to this planet. She's followed him for three years. And she calls him sir. And to be fair, if Jesus was going to be anybody else in that setting and at that time of day, it would be a gardener. Tombs back then had paid watchers so that people wouldn't steal the body and they tended to the garden. And so it'd be natural and logical that there would be a gardener there. But the main point I need you to see that you need to dial into is that Mary is confronted with Jesus in his resurrected state and has no clue 
who it is that is in front of her. In her journey of understanding, she is still at the station. She's in park mode, waiting to get on the train. And what we need to take away from this, this is really important for us today, is that many times, in fact, most times, this is precisely how most people's journey to Jesus will be like, especially in the early stages where we run up against Jesus and who he is, but we don't really understand yet who he is. Like Mary, we think he's something else, like a gardener, because we're on a journey, but we're still at the station. And being at the station is not a bad place to be. In fact, it's the starting place. It's just as we're going to see in a minute, you might want to get on the train if you're at the station and at all interested in going somewhere. But it's okay to be at the station. It's where you are in the journey. You know, I tell you guys this often who come on a regular basis to Scottsdale Bible, I I didn't know anything about God for the first 18 years of my life. I I wasn't raised in much of a church environment. We hardly ever went. In fact, we went about every Christmas and Easter. So I get some of you that we won't see till Christmas, though I'm going to try hard to get you back. But for the first 18 years of my life, I, I, I lived like that. And yet don't be fooled. During those first 18 years of my life, there were plenty of times in my journey where I would reach out to God as I understood him. I would, I would bump up even against Jesus. It's just that I didn't know that it was him. I can remember one of my first conscious experiences. I was in elementary school, and this was, I shouldn't laugh, it was a terrible event. We came home one night from dinner in the small town that I live in, and uh, as we were gone, um, my sister's guinea pig had gotten out of the cage and had a run-in with my dog, Wags. And, and, and when you take a, a bloodhound like Wags against a little guinea pig, it was like Godzilla versus Bambi, and the guinea pig didn't last very long. So we came home and the guinea pig was dead and, and, and my sister was so upset and she's, she's crying upstairs and my, my dad is downstairs having a talk with Wags. It wasn't going well. And so I'm, I'm sitting there in my bed and I'm listening to my, my kid and my sister cry and my dad and, 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 and I just prayed. And I prayed a prayer that only a child could pray. I said, God, someday my sister's gonna be in heaven and when she gets there, I hope that she is reunited with her guinea pig. Amen. And I went to bed. I I, I could tell you numerous stories like that. I didn't go to church. I didn't read the Bible. I didn't know Jesus from a gardener. But there were times I reached out to God and I think he heard me. Amen. I think he was there in those moments. I was still at the station, but I was also on the journey. I, I needed to go a lot further. Thankfully, I did. But it's at the station where we start the journey And here's why that's important. Many of you could tell me similar stories of before you knew Jesus or knew who he was, of how you likewise were at the station. Some of you are even there right now. We'll get to that in a few minutes here. And there's times in your life where someday you're going to see you've been bumping up against this Jesus who loves you and this Jesus who came for you. It's just you didn't know it was him. We have the same experience as Mary. She thought he was a gardener. She had no clue who he was. She was still at the station. But take heart, because it's all part of the plan. Because you see, as her journey continues, as she stays in the realm of seeking, look with me at what happens next with her and Jesus. This is really subtle, so you gotta pay attention. But this is amazing stuff that goes on to happen next. Look at verse 16. Mary is gonna be on the way now. Go back. She's gonna be on the way. 
She's going to get on the train and she's going to start to go somewhere in her understanding of Jesus beyond Gardner. Look at verse 16 and I'll show you what I mean. It says, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, this is one of those passages that you're tempted to do a drive-by and just, you know, well, you know, we recognize her and says Mary and Rabbi, what's next? Let's park in front of this for a second. This is really important. Two things are going on here you don't want to miss. The first thing is, is that Mary now realizes that it is Jesus in front of her. She goes beyond Gardner. And you don't want to miss how that happened. It's very intimate. And that is that Jesus turns to her and he says her name. He says, Mary, and she turns to him and recognizes him. Jesus foreshadowed this years before when he said at one point in his teaching that my sheep hear my voice and I call them by name and they follow me. And that's exactly what happens here. And the reason that that's important for you and me If you don't hear anything else today, just hear this from me. God knows your name. Jesus knows your name. And I personally believe that each moment of each day, if you will listen, he's calling your name. I don't think this was a one-off for Mary. I think that Jesus is constantly reaching out to people in this world the good and the bad, the fine and the not so fine. We're all in the same boat when it comes to that. And he calls you by name. He calls you to himself. And that allows you in your journey to go from seeing him as a gardener to something much more. Now that's the second thing you need to understand here. Because Mary is no longer at the train station. She's now on her way. Look at how she now describes Jesus. She says, oh, it's my rabbi. That word rabbi is, the, is a word that literally means rabbi, teacher, instructor. A rabbi back then was a spiritual leader, somebody who was worth listening to, that you would give credence to, that you would even follow, but it's a far cry from Savior and Lord. So what I need you to see is that Mary's kind of halfway there right now. Give me a head nod that you get that. I mean, she's no longer calling the son of God a gardener. And yet at the same time, I don't think we'd argue that she has arrived at her destination and her understanding of Jesus. She's on the train, she's on the road, and she's seeing him more than a gardener. She's seeing him as the rabbi that he is, but is also so much more. And the reason that that's important, now let's apply it to us, is that all I can tell you is that this is where the vast majority of Americans are today when it comes to their understanding of Jesus. I'm telling you, look close at culture, gang, you'll see it. Poll after poll, survey after survey, survey, history channel special after history channel special reveals to us that most Americans recognize Jesus as one of the great religious leaders kind of like a first century Gandhi and that he knew God really well and can even help us know God himself through his teaching. But they're real hazy as to his precise identity and even his call upon our lives. Man, I'm telling you, they're just like Mary Magdalene caught in that halfway point where they have enough knowledge to know he's not a gardener, (laughs) but not enough knowledge to arrive at a cogent and workable definition of who he really is and his call upon our life. 
Ben Witherington, an author and scholar in his own right, I think nails it when he said this. He said, America is a Jesus-haunted culture, but at the same time, it's a biblically illiterate culture. When you have that odd combination, almost anything can pass for knowledge of the historical Jesus. And maybe this explains where we are as a country right now. Again, I love our country. We are land of the free and the home of the brave and all that stuff. But we also are a pretty messed up country spiritually right now. And one of the reasons is, is because we're caught in between. We have this interest in Jesus, this interest in the Bible, this interest in spiritual things, which is still very strong. And yet we almost don't know enough to make decisions based on our interest. But we're not at the station. We're on the way, but we have yet to arrive. And again, I get it. I spent years like this in my search for Jesus. I mean, I eventually realized he wasn't a gardener and I got on the train and I started going somewhere, but I had a lot of questions and I had a lot of concerns and I didn't like even some of the answers I heard from the Christians around me. And I spent a long time in that mode on the train, on the way, but seeing him more as a rabbi and saying, I'm going to reserve judgment for anything else. Some of you might be there today, but we're going to help you in a few minutes learn what to do next. And so if not a gardener, and if not a rabbi, then in our journey, who is he really? I mean, how do we leave the station, get on our way, and then finally get at a good destination in our understanding and experience of Jesus? And thankfully, this is what Mary, in her experience, is now going to go on and show us. Because on that very first Easter morning, Mary experiences something that I hope for every one of you, and that is that she arrives at her destination in her key understanding of who Jesus is. I want you to look with me one last time at this story and how it comes to a head. And you're going to see how Mary's journey arrives at an understanding of Jesus that now is going to take her somewhere. She arrives at her destination that's now going to start a whole new journey because now that she's come to Jesus, she's going to need to walk with Jesus. But look at how she finally comes to Jesus. It says, Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me for I've not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and say these two words with me, your father. That was really pathetic. Can we try that one more time? And your father and my God and hang on to that. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he said these things to her. Now there's a lot going on here. So let's try to parse it out, break it down and understand what's happening the first thing you'll notice here, and this is actually a really funny scene, is that Jesus says to Mary, stop clinging to me. Have you ever wondered why he said that? I mean, she's excited to see him. He said her name. They're kind of reconnecting. A few scenes after this, Jesus will see some other women that followed him all his life, and he allows them to hug him. And then he'll see, you know, Thomas, remember doubting Thomas, and allow Thomas to touch him and, and, and feel that he really rose from the dead. So why does Jesus say to Mary Magdalene here, stop clinging to me? The answer is not as complicated as you think. You all do this all the time, especially if you have kids. If somebody comes to you and is really emotional about something, you ever had that happen to you? Like they're all full of emotion, but you need to communicate something 
of an understanding nature, something cognitive, something important to them, how do you break through the emotion in that moment? Here's how we did it with our kids. When they would get all emotional, say they got hurt or angry about something, they'd come, dad, 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 dad. You know, and they'd come at me and, you know, start touching me and all this other stuff. I essentially say, you know, Paul, stop, stop. Look at me, Paul. I got to share something with you right now about how to get you out of this dilemma you're in. How many of you have ever done that to somebody? Most of us have. That's what's happening here with Jesus. Mary is all emotional. She's gone from seeing him as a gardener to Rabboni, and, and, and now Jesus needs to help her go that final leg to understand who he really is. And so he's basically saying, just stop clinging to me, Mary. Look at me. I got to share something with you. And when you look closely, he shares two things that will allow the light to go on in her head. First, he says, I had not yet ascended to the Father, so go to my brother and tell them that I'm going to ascend to the Father. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you. Huge in Mary's mind. Let me tell you why. Up to this point, Mary thinks that he's a gardener or just a great spiritual teacher, a rabbi. When Jesus says that I need to ascend to my Father... The wheels in Mary's head is going to turn and she's going to say, well, that means you must have at some point descended. And where did you descend from? And the answer would be heaven. Well, how long were you in heaven? Well, for all of eternity. Who are you that you would descend into this earth and have to ascend back up into heaven? Do you see what she's starting to process here right now? This guy's a lot more than a rabbi. Eventually, theologians would call this the incarnation, where God becomes a human. The second person of the Trinity, who lived eternally with the Father, became a human being to bring us to the Father. And as Mary's starting to process that, that's the second thing. And I had you guys say it with me, that Jesus tells her, he says, I'm ascending to my Father. That makes sense. Now watch this. And your Father, Mary. And I'm ascending to my God and your God. Bible commentators, the experts point out something really rich here, that Jesus is making a distinction and a tie-in at the same time. It's really wild what he's doing. He's saying, I am distinct from you, Mary, because he's my father and my God, the Trinity, and I've been with them for all of eternity. But I'm here, Mary, to now bring you to him so he can be your father and your God. And now again, Mary, the, the, the light's going on in her head. She, she's saying, oh my gosh, he really is the way. He really is the truth. He really is the life. He's a lot more than I ever thought. And she's starting to arrive at her destination. And the clue that tells us that she has is when she says to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Earlier, I don't know if you caught it, she called him my Lord. She said, you know, where have they taken my Lord? She meant that in the provincial sense. She ever read like old books, you know, and how you might call a king the Lord or whatever. She didn't mean it because she thought he was a gardener. She, she didn't mean it in the sense of like the Lord of the universe. But now when she says, I have seen the Lord, could it be that the light's starting to go on in her head? Could it be that she's understanding who this Jesus really is in front of her? She hears him saying, Mary, because God is my father, he can now be your father. And through me, you can truly know him if you believe in me. And she now gets it. She arrives in her understanding and realizes who this Jesus is in front of her. 
She at one time was at the station thinking he's a gardener. (laughs) And then she was on her way thinking he's a rabbi. And now she has arrived in our understanding of Jesus. And from what we know of her life for the rest of her life, she will never be the same as she walks with the Lord. And we got about four or five minutes left. And uh, I want to wrap up by asking you to do something very, very, very personal right now. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but just this is between you and God. And that is, based on everything we've talked about, I want you to plot in your own mind where you are right now on the journey. And to help you, let's review. We talked about those who are still at the station and that that's a natural part of the journey. We've talked about those who are on the way where a lot of Americans are. And then we talked about those who have arrived and their right understanding of who Jesus is. Some of you here today, if you and I were having a cup of coffee and I said, hey, where are you? You would say, well, I'm still at the station. And again, I would accept that. I have been there. I understand that. And my encouragement to you is don't wait until Christmas to capitalize on your need to get on the train. In other words, don't take your seeking lightly. Don't just dive back in to your everyday Scottsdale, Phoenix, or wherever you're from life, but care enough about your own soul to get on the train and start to go somewhere in your understanding of God and his son, Jesus. One of the greatest promises ever in the Bible is this promise here. And this is to you who are still at the station or even those of you who are on the way. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you're gonna find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Why? Because everyone who asks me receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. This is a promise that if you have a humble heart, if you truly desire to know God, and only you can answer that, He'd like to meet you and he'd like to help you find your way to a right understanding of Jesus. But you have to get to the point where you care enough about your own soul to say, I'm done playing games. I want to get on the train. Because see, here's what God has for you on the train. Go to the John 1 passage right now. And that is that he wants to eventually get you to the point where you arrive. And here's how you know if you arrive. John says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Whoa. You eventually get to the point, like Mary did, where you believe. You don't believe he's a gardener. You don't believe he's a rabbi. You believe that he is the only one who can save you and bring you to the Father. And you receive him into your life as a result. What you need to know is that that's what we're about here at Scottsdale Bible Church. We're simply a community of people who come together in multiple different congregations and we talk very simply every week on how we can bolster our belief, how we can continue to receive him and now walk with him because many of us have found our way to him. And what you need to know is that we're with you on that journey. Again, if you don't hear anything else today, hear that. Now, here's what I want you to know for those of you who have already arrived. This is really important. For those of you who have already arrived in an understanding of Jesus, now you're doing your best to walk with him, you're going to be tempted after today's message, say, well, that was a good Christmas or Easter message. Uh, wonder what's for lunch. That's what you're going to be tempted to do right now. And I would encourage you not to do that because there are two things contained in this message for you that you don't want to drive by. The first is that in your walk with Jesus, when you get tired and beat up, when you feel like throwing in the towel, 
when you feel like the day is just too long, I want you to remember something from this day. And that is that you have arrived in your understanding of who Jesus is. You have gotten on the train, you've gotten to Flagstaff, and now you're just hiking through the mountains. And you do not need to be discouraged. You do not need to be downcast because you've done something that so many people are still on their journey to. You have come to Jesus. And he promises he will never leave you, never forsake you, even though you feel that right now. In a very real sense, you've arrived. And he's never letting go of your life. Theologians call this eternal security. The fact that once he grabs you, Jesus told us this, he ain't letting go. And so be encouraged from Easter Sunday that as you have gone through that Mary Magdalene experience and arrived, he's got you and he's not letting go. And then the second thing I want you to do from this today, and this is gonna be a taller order for some of you, but you gotta listen to me in this, is stop judging those who are not at the same point in the journey as you are. Amen? Stop judging them. I've tried really hard to say, it's okay to still be at the station. It's okay to be on your way. You were there at one point. And what, how helpful it would have been if a Christian was kind of looking down on you or judging you. No, don't do that. You now have today some categories on how to view those around you, still at the station, on the way, having arrived. But just help them. Journey with them. Be patient. Answer questions. Don't push. You know why you don't push? Because this is God's train. It's not your train. He's in charge of it. He's in the head engine. He's taking it somewhere. So he's in control. But you're back there as a passenger and you're helping people on their way. Just now help them and stop judging them. Our world is really sensitive to that right now. And they need to see joyful at peace Christians who are walking the walk and talking the talk and willing to be very patient with where you were 30 years ago and help them now in their journey. That's the kind of church that Scottsdale Bible is. So if you're on the journey, still making your way to Jesus, we encourage you uh, to keep on that journey. In fact, after, at each of our venues and campuses, we're gonna have plenty of pastors down here to pray with you, answer any questions. Please come down. Don't waste today and ask any questions. And if you're ready to receive and believe, we would love to do that with you up front here. For the rest of you, he has risen. Your faith is not in vain. He loves you and is in control of your life. And you have come to him and he's never letting go. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this great experience of Mary Magdalene, a woman that we know marginally some things about, but maybe now a little bit more and how she shows us through her experience what it's like to go from gardener to rabbi to understanding the true son of God come to earth. And I pray, God, that this would be the journey that we're all on, that we would care enough about our spiritual lives, about our, 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 our lives in general, to stay on this journey, to stay on the train, and to eventually get to the point where we understand and embrace your son Jesus and then spend the rest of our days walking with him. Thank you for Easter morning. Thank you for the hope that the resurrection gives us, that there's not one person here today, not one, that's beyond the scope of your grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. amen.